Hello, church family. Uh, this is chapter 27 of Exodus. Uh, I've decided just to do one chapter each day as opposed to lumping it all together because there, there's a lot in each chapter, even though um, it seems like it's very mundane. I do find myself being moved by some of the details here and some of the truths that we see that could be applicable for us even in our modern day. Uh, chapter 27 is, is the description of what the altar looks like. Uh, 26 was the um, was the curtain and the tabernacle and then 25 which is how you offer uh, and what's you know inside the Ark of the Covenant. So there are all these different things that are, they're, they're supposed to be um, for Israel to know and worship the Lord. And I think in this particular context here, this bronze altar, uh, as the NASB put in the <coughs> Top the, before the chapter, it's an appropriate one because it's supposed to show uh, what this altar is supposed to be about. And uh, throughout this entire chapter, we see that you know God wants to be worshipped a particular way, and this isn't something that's not even just to exclusive to this chapter, but also throughout the entire book of Exodus, that God uh, desires to be worshipped. Uh, by his people in a way that is most pleasing to him. And the thing that he does is give them these instructions so that they could live a certain way and then go to him a certain way so that they can look different from the world. Um, and these worship things are supposed to teach them. This would be this ongoing lesson of uh, who the true God is. So when we walk through this and I just draw some principles here. So chapter 27, verse 1, uh, and you shall make the altar of archaea wood five cubits long and five cubits wide. The altar shall be square and its height shall be cubits. You shall make his horns on his four corners. His horns shall be of one piece with it and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make it pails of removing its ashes and its shovel and its basin and its forks and its firepan. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. These are all just basically things that they... Uh, need describing the altar as a whole and you know the fire pans and everything that's supposed to be used and when they sac make sacrifices uh, you know the, uh, you know this will catch some of the ashes once the sacrifice is burned and it's supposed to even ways in which you scoop out uh, the the uh, the ashes now this part in reverse 23 isn't anything spiritual I think it's just the idea of just functionally what the priest is supposed to do there's will burn something and then they'll remove the next thing and burn something else and then remove the ashes uh, which again is supposed to show you that every single like not the actual material but that uh, the, the role of the priest is that he's constantly making sacrifices because there's always sin in the people uh, the it is a constant reminder of their uh, of their own depravity that there's no way for people to be perfect um, and that's why this constant sacrifice was to make them look forward to the day where they don't have to do this anymore. Verse 4, shall make for it a grating of network of bronze and on the net you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners. You shall put it beneath under the ledge of the altar so that the net will reach halfway up the altar. You shall make poles of the, um, for the altar, poles of arcade wood and overlay them with bronze. Its poles shall be inserted into the ring so that the poles shall be on two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with its planks as it is shown to you in the mountain, so they shall make it. You know, these are just ways in which um, this, uh, you can look this up and what it's supposed to look like. And uh, the altar itself, it's, it's kind of like a portable one. Um, it's designed so that you can move from one place to another. And again, this isn't before the temple has started. Uh, this is some uh, like a, like a 
like a foreshadow of something that's greater, and then there's a temple which is greater than the tabernacle. And there's that itself, this would be a, a, a picture of some heavenly uh, sacrifices that they make. Um, you know, that before the Lord, someone needs, animals need to die so that uh, there's atonement for sin. And, God, and again, God sets the standard. He wants something to die for the, for the sins of the people. And uh, that's, uh, that, that altar is will be a picture of something that's before the Lord. Verse 9, you shall make the court of the tabernacle on the south side there shall be hanging for the course of fine twisted linen, 100 cubits long for one side, and his pillars shall be 20 with their 20 sockets of bronze, tucks of the pillars and their bands shall be of silver. Likewise, for the north side in the length there shall be hanging 100 cubits long and his 20 pillars with their 20 sockets of bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be of silver. The width of the court on the west side shall be hanging on of 50 cubits, the 10 pillars, uh, their 10 sockets. The width of the court on the east side shall be 50 cubits. The hanging for the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three sockets. And for the other side shall be hanging of 15 cubits with three pillars and three sockets. So there's this like, um, you know, symmetry to this and this uh, intentional design on how things are supposed to look. And this, again, the, the, this tabernacle, this altar and even the ark itself, every f part of um, the structure is supposed to look beautiful and is arranged in such a way that's supposed to show that God himself is a beautiful God. There's an order to it. Um, and uh, we see, as we continue on verse 16, for the gate of the court shall, there shall be a screen of 20 cubits of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen, the work of a weaver with their four pillars and their four sockets. All the pillars around the court shall be furnished with silver, <coughs> excuse me, with silver bands with their hooks and of silver and their sockets of bronze. The length of the court shall be 150 cubits and the width 50 throughout and the height 55 cubits of fine twisted linen and their sockets of bronze. Uh, this is supposed to be this curtain, this one curtain here. Um, that's supposed to be this idea that there's only one way in. This entire tent area has one entrance in. Again, this is supposed to be a picture that there's only one way to God. I think in our modern day and a lot of postmodern cultures, like you can just believe whatever you want to get to the Lord. But even back then, in the way that they structure the tabernacle and um, this tent here, it's supposed to be that there's one entrance. You can see it from multiple angles, obviously, if you're in a higher ground. Um, but when you want to get to it, get close to it, there is only one way in. Uh, again, this is a picture of what is to come, that the only way for, for us to be saved is only in Jesus Christ. There's only one path to salvation. And even this path itself is a very narrow path. It's not, uh, it's not like too big so that like, you know, the horde of people come in. There's, it's, it's a small path, that, uh, that small entrance that allows only a you know, small amount of people in at a time. And that's, again, to show you that there's only one way to the Lord, uh, making reference, of course, of Jesus, saying that the narrow path is the way to salvation. In verse 19, all this utensils and tabernacle used in all the service and all its pegs, and all the pegs of the course shall be of bronze. This is just you know, a way to like, you know, nail down this tent, this huge tent, so that the wind will not blow it away. Because like, you know, it's assuming that in the desert, there's bound, to be, there's bound to be moments where there's like sandstorms and stuff like that. So um, you know, this is a way to stabilize everything.
verse 20, you shall charge the sons of Israel that they bring you clear oil of beaten olives for the light to make a lamp uh, burn continually in the tent of meeting outside the veil which is before the testimony Aaron his son shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord it shall be a perpetual statue throughout the generation for the sons of Israel now these last two verses are actually very fascinating because they're supposed to bring these oil in and they're constantly supposed to supply it the again the implication when it comes to material needs that the Lord will always provide it when you first look at this you might think oh man how are we going to afford all this oil how are we going to afford all of these materials to build this but remember all the the precious metals were provided beforehand, and all the uh, things that used for worship, the Lord will also provide. This is where you know, there is a lot of faith that's involved in this. Because when we look at it, how do you physically, how is it possible that you can keep this lamp burning continually? And they're supposed to trust the Lord. That, okay, I want to worship you, Lord. You have to provide the means for me to worship you. God never gives a command without providing the means to which you can fulfill those commands. Um, and that's, again, a lesson for us is that, yeah, God will always give us what we need so that we can be faithful in the way that we are to worship him. Um, God will never uh, put us in a situation where there is no way for us to worship him. There is always a way to the Lord. And also just another observation with these last two verses is that when we think of the oil and lamps, especially for those people back then, usually um, when they're in the camp, they'll have their own little lamps. And usually the last person that goes to sleep is the one who you know blows out the lamp because, uh, you know, it's time to go to bed. But this idea of it burning continually in the you know in, in tabernacle is to show that God doesn't need rest. Um, because as we picture that, yeah, he doesn't need to stop. Humans need to rest so that they can turn off. Uh, you know, they're light, but God is always there. He's always going to uh, be there, and he doesn't need to rest. And it rests in the sense that, you know, humanity needs to rest. He's always there. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He's not like the false gods that need to be awakened or anything, because he's omnipotent. He has the ability to sustain himself. He doesn't need rest the way that we do. And there's a contra... And, 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 and that's... A very interesting parallel when you think of Christ who had to come into the world fully God fully man he put on the limitations of humanity and he needed to rest Jesus had to sleep uh, and, and multiple, time, multiple times in the gospel when we see that he you know, had to rest um, which is, again it's insane to think about when we think about the eternal God who at this point has demonstrated tremendous power but he's willing to condescend himself to uh, in, come into the earth and, 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 and even experience the limitations of humanity. And that should be something that would cause us to worship him more, that we understand our God is, is that eternal God. He doesn't need the rest the way we do, but he's willing to put that on so that we could have that one way to him. All of these things with the tabernacle, the, the Ark of the Covenant, um, and, uh, and everything else, we're supposed to be pointing to some sort of heavenly reality. I believe that here, um, in these, these verses here, you see that, yes, there is only one way, and that um, they're always looking forward to that one way where they don't have to keep entering back into this temple or this tabernacle. And then there's always this fire that has to constantly um, burn so that, like, you know, to show them, like, tangibly that Jesus is that God that has to become human and rest. You know, all of these things are symbols so that they can look forward to the, uh, the salvation uh, so they don't no longer have to do these things again. And we as New Testament believers understand that we have this in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we should appreciate Christ because, again, he fulfills the law, not just in terms of the moral laws, 
but even some of the symbol symbolism with the, you know with the temple and with the sac the priestly sacrifices and animal sacrifices these are other areas in which he actually fulfills the law as well so let us rejoice and thank the lord for coming into the world condescending himself and living that perfect life on our behalf so that when he died we could no longer die as well but because of our faith in him we have eternal life I hope this has encouraged you this weekend um, again not sure how i'm going to do next week as well i think we'll probably just slowly chip away each chapter a day but hope that this is helpful take care and have a great day <laughs>